Well, grace and peace, everybody. This is Pastor Leon, and this is Pastor Cast number 45. And we are actually in episode five of the series that we've been doing on Habakkuk. And uh, as we've discussed, uh, the book of Habakkuk is uh, one of those Old Testament prophets that just kind of gets overlooked. Um, there's not a lot of uh, Bible studies that are written on the book of Habakkuk. <laughs> there's no, there's not a lot of small group materials made available to churches on Habakkuk. Uh, and in fact, the revised common lectionary, which is the uh, sort of uh, agreed upon way that uh, churches around the world, uh, Catholic, Protestant, whatever, anybody that uses the lectionary to teach and preach, there's only like two or three verses out of the entire book uh, that is part of the Revised Common Lectionary. And uh, those verses are sort of chosen carefully uh, because the book of Habakkuk is one of those books that's just kind of interesting and odd. And uh, it is it is set during a time of upheaval, a time of uh, chaos and anxiety and dread and fear uh, and uncertainty. And so I think it speaks right into where we are right now because we are now uh, further into the, uh, the self-quarantining, the, the isolation. The, you know, and now in the city of Austin, we are in a shelter-in-place order, which means that we are not supposed to go out except to go to the grocery store, to the, the pharmacy, to, uh, to, uh, to get gas. I mean, things like that. I mean, we're supposed to stay inside. We're not supposed to hang out with our neighbors. We're not supposed to go hang out at a friend's house. I mean, we're not, you know, we're, we're not supposed to do anything except to be kind of in your family group and to be isolated. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. The economy is not doing great. People are losing their jobs. I mean, this is going on for a while now, and it looks like we've got more weeks to go. Uh, and there are lots of people that are obviously in danger because of this. And there have been uh, multiple folks. So obviously, there's there's several hundred people that have passed away that have died in the United States. Um, and uh, so at any rate, there's there's a lot of anxiety about all the things that are going on, and, and there's no end in sight, it doesn't seem like. So... With all of that in mind, uh, what we need is we need something to be able to uh, to kind of make some sense of this. And that's that's what Habakkuk was doing in his context. He was trying to make sense of the situation. He'd been taught his whole life that God was a certain way, you know, that that's what God was like, that this is what God wanted, that if you did what you were supposed to do, then... Uh, then good things would happen to you. That's kind of the way that their theology worked. It was a transactional kind of theology in the ancient Hebrew culture um, where you fulfilled your end of the bargain and then God fulfilled God's end of the bargain. That was just the way that it worked. And if you didn't fulfill your end of the bargain, then God would pull the rug out from under you. That's kind of the, the mentality. Um, but uh, there was also some, uh, there was a deeper sense of God as well that a lot of the Hebrew prophets and Hebrew poets had uh, that went beyond that kind of simplistic theology. And so Habakkuk is in a situation now where he's contending with God. So Habakkuk goes and on behalf of the people, on behalf of the, um, the Hebrew people, he goes and he decides that he's going to sort of be an advocate for the people to God. 
And so in a, it's kind of an interesting way to do it. And the way that he uh, approaches it is not like a, the regular prophets, not like the rest of the prophets that you kind of see who are speaking to the people and saying, this is what God says. Uh, if you don't change, if you don't fix this, if you don't do this, then, then you're going to end up here. Um, the thing about prophecy in the, in the ancient uh, Hebrew context is that it wasn't about prediction. I mean, to a certain extent it was. But it was basically, it wasn't about like, I'm, you know, like a Nostradamus kind of thing. And I think this is where um, people get really messed up when it comes to their understanding of scripture and it comes to the way that they, quote unquote, interpret prophecy. Uh, you know, so our understanding of prophecy and at least, you know, within certain wings of the, uh, the, the Christian church, um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a you know certain groups within the church and denominations and you know and and I think this this happens a lot in the Pentecostal tradition they they'll have they'll even have people that their status within the church is as prophet uh, somebody who's speaking prophetically to the church and I think within that context they're actually doing what the ancient prophets would do uh, which was to come to the people and say here's what you're doing. Okay, here's what's happening. Here's all the things that you're not doing that you should be doing. If you keep doing this, right, then this is going to happen. There's a future ahead of you that's not going to be great. You're going to end up in a bad place if you continue doing this. There's also some prophetic uh, voices that would say, uh, here's what will happen in the future, here's what the future is going to be like if you just embrace uh, a relationship with God, if you just embrace what you're supposed to be doing, if you embrace right worship and all the other things, right? So um, Hebrew prophecy wasn't about predicting the future, like saying, here's all the signs and symbols of all the things that you need to know and how to interpret them, you know, because that's what a lot of people do now is they take books like Revelation, they take books like Ezekiel and Daniel and and some of these books that have uh, a prophetic kind of, of flair to them, but are probably not prophetic completely, right? In terms of the way that we would understand prophetic and the way that I just defined it. Okay, so both in Ezekiel and in Daniel, there are these visions that the prophets have um, that are more apocryph- or, or, or apocalyptic uh, visions. They're apocalyptic ways of seeing things. Now, when, when you say the word apocalyptic, a lot of people then think destruction. They think the end of the world. They think, you know, you know, doom and gloom and so forth. But that's not uh, the sense of apocalyptic literature within the, 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 the Bible and the biblical studies. Apocalyptic literature is simply literature um, that paints a picture of uh, a possible sort of outcome. Uh, using, you know, and, and in kind of using that prophetic sense of like, if these things continue, this is what's going to, what it's going to look like. But then the, the apocalyptic authors, the apocalyptic thinkers and dreamers and visionaries, they were the ones that were basically saying, uh, this is, this is the signs and symbols of what's kind of happening right now in our context. So they would use word pictures, uh, to describe things that were happening in their point in history. 
So it doesn't necessarily mean that they were saying that this is something that's universally true, that's going to happen, that's down the road, that's not now. Although there might be a sum of that to a certain extent, there might be a little bit of that, but that I think would be more prophecy than apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature has to do with revelation. In fact, that's what the word in Greek means is, is revelation. Apocalypse is that's what uh, the book of Revelation actually is. The official title is the Apocalypse of John, the Revelation of John. It doesn't mean to. It doesn't mean that it's hidden. That it's that it's uh, you know have to be has to be figured out. The people that were reading it, the people that were hearing this read to them in the first century, completely got it. I mean, they understood exactly what the the John the Revelator was talking about. So. I mean, I started off with all this. I don't know why. This is one of those things where I just start talking and I'm like, I don't know where this is heading, but I actually do know where it's heading because we're coming back to the book of Habakkuk, which is about prophecy. And so in order for us to understand what Habakkuk is doing, we do need to have a grasp of what prophetic literature is in the scriptures as opposed to apocalyptic literature. And when we talk about prophecy, what we're talking about is not somebody saying that this is a prediction of like what's going to happen, you know, like a Nostradamus, for example, or the woman that actually, there was a woman that actually, uh, some psychic that managed to get this right, right? She managed to get the 2020 uh, flu epidemic thing that couldn't be resolved. So, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like you get a you get a million monkeys in a room and give them typewriters. And at some point, you know, they're going to create a novel. I mean, it's just that's that's kind of how that's the law of averages. Uh, but uh, at any rate, uh, this is not about predicting things. It's about it's about being able to say, here's an opportunity to do things differently. Here's a way for us to figure out how to make sense of the things that are going on around us. Here's something that you're doing that if you change, it's going to change everything. So that's what Habakkuk is essentially doing in his particular way as he contends with God and goes to God and starts having these back and forth conversations. Um, I read a story about a, uh, this was a, this was a while ago. Um, there were these it workers in New York, um, who they all they all work together and they would always pool their money uh, and buy these mega millions New York State lottery tickets together. And so there were eight of them all together and they've been buying tickets faithfully for a long time. I mean, for quite a quite a long time. So one particular week, this guy, uh, one of the group decided that he was not going to participate. Uh, and, uh, his buddies asked him, you're like, why don't you want to kick in for a ticket this week? And he says, I don't know. I just don't feel lucky this week. So the winning ticket for that week's, you can see where this is going. The winning ticket for that week's $319 million jackpot was one of the tickets the group purchased, but they only had to split it seven ways instead of eight. I mean, can you imagine what that guy must've feel like? What must have felt like? I mean, <laughs> what if what if you were married to someone who came home with that story? Like, uh, hey, I have something to tell you, and you'll probably want to sit down and let me remove any blunt objects that are within your reach because you're probably going to want to hit me with them because this is the one week that I didn't buy a ticket with the guys. So what would you say to this person? I mean, what could you say? Um. The thing that we're going to be learning from the passage of scripture that we're going to take a look at from Habakkuk today is that redemption 
happens in God's time and God's way. And sometimes the timing and the manner of God's redemption is just unexpected. And if you're not paying attention, if you're not focused, if you decide to take a breather or take a powder or not participate, you're probably going to miss it if you're not focused. So why do you think that Jesus was always telling his disciples, let anyone who has ears hear this? which is basically just an ancient way of saying, hey, everybody, shut up and listen. Pay attention to what I'm saying to you. There was a a song from the 1960s uh, that was written by Bob Dylan. It's been recorded by Joan Baez, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, uh, the Hollies. I mean, and probably a bunch of other bands along the way. Um, It's the song Blowing in the Wind. Um, And I remember when I was working on this study, and I remember I got to this particular passage and, chapter two of Habakkuk verses one through four, I really couldn't shake the tune. Um, and that following line, the following line from the song that it was always in my head. The answer, my friend is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Jesus once told a would be disciple by the name of Nicodemus that the spirit of God is like the wind and the spirit blows where it wants to go. So those moments of redemption that we were talking about, you know, that those jackpot moments, right? If you're not paying attention, you might miss them. I mean, you might miss out on the joy of being a part of it because they show up unexpectedly. And when they do, I mean, you have a choice to embrace redemption or to kind of let it blow right by you. And God's plan for redemption does include a choice. And so in Habakkuk uh, chapter two, verse one through four, this is what we get. Uh, Habakkuk says, this is Habakkuk speaking. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Okay, so Habakkuk is speaking to God and uh, he has just finished kind of giving God like, these are all the things that, that I'm upset about. These are all the things that I don't understand. This is what's going on. Why haven't you fixed this? I thought you were all about justice. I thought that you were a righteous God uh, who wanted righteousness. And we'll talk about what righteousness means in a bit in this context. And so now he says, okay, I'm going to go and stand over here. I'm going to be on the ramparts. Okay. So if you think of a of a, a walled city, right? Um, think of a walled city, a, you know, like an ancient city, and there are ramparts on top of the walls. Now, what are ramparts? Well, they're the sort of towers, the built-up parts of the wall where the defenders and those who were on watch, uh, where they will stand and they will take their post because they're going to make sure that they're watching for Uh, Any kind of threat or any kind of messenger or anything that's coming to the city, they are on alert. So that's what Habakkuk is saying. I am going to be on alert. I'm going to be focused and I'm going to look to see what God is going to say to me to answer what I've said. And so uh, this is in Habakkuk chapter one, uh, chapter two, verse one. And so in verse two, we get the Lord's answer. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. 
Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. There's another way of interpreting that last line of verse four. The just shall live by faith. That's uh, the, the passage that I think is the centerpiece of this particular book. And it's, uh, it's a, a, a line that people like Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, held on to tightly. The just shall live by faith. So what is the Lord saying here? Well, we find Habakkuk waiting for a response. And, and I, I feel like that he tells God, this is how I'm going to wait. I'm going to be over here waiting on the ramparts. Just take your time, right? But I'm going to be here. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to be ready. I'm not going to let this pass me. And so God does answer in verse two of the chapter when he delivers a vision for the revelation. So the imagery that is used in verse two is of a runner or a herald who has been given a message and has to run with it to deliver it. Okay, so this really does fit within the the sort of poetic way that Habakkuk is setting all this up, that I'm going to be on the ramparts. I'm going to be watching for the message. And so God, uh, the reply that the Lord gives is of a person bringing a message. Uh, the literal Hebrew translation uh, for the person who is delivering it, right, is, uh, and when it says run with it, a person, the, the uh, a herald may run with it, he says, write down the revelation, make it plain so that a herald may run with it. The, the Hebrew translation is pants toward an end. It was kind of a colloquialism from the ancient world that Hebrew speakers would have gotten without all the extra imagery that we throw in for our translation. But that idea of like, the person is going to go with all speed. In verse three, God says the revelation will happen in the appointed time. Now, in Greek, we have a different sense of this that we that we don't get completely in the Hebrew. The Greek translation of this, if you went to the Greek Septuagint, which would be the um, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that for a long, long time was the official translation until Hebrew scholars. Uh, began to have conflicts between uh, the the Greek influenced rabbis uh, and then the rabbis that had come out of uh, Babylon. Uh, there was a huge Jewish uh, contingency in Babylon for centuries and centuries. Uh, the the people that were left over from the ones that didn't come back to Jerusalem that stayed in Babylon rather than coming back uh, to reclaim uh, Jerusalem. And so there was a conflict between them and they, they threw the Septuagint out uh, to a certain extent. But the Septuagint was translated into Greek. So this is what you would see. The Greek translation of this in the appointed time uh, is kairos. And that's a different understanding of time. This is God's time. So uh, we've talked about this uh, perhaps uh, in the past um, where we talk about kairos and chronos. So chronos is linear time. It's the time uh, that, uh, you know, how we understand time has like a, you know, a beginning, a middle and an end kind of thing. Um, but this is God's time. God's time is outside of that. God's time, uh, is Kairos. It's a redemption moment. It's uh, it's a moment, uh, where the kingdom of God is, is, uh, made clear where it's able to be seen. 
And so uh, there, it's, it's a holy time, in other words, that stands outside of the linear understanding of time. So let's recap just a little bit. God says that the time of redemption is coming, that the time of redemption is going to be a full revelation, and the time of redemption is going to be pregnant with the kingdom of God, right? That's going to be kairos, uh, that you're going to see it. It's the appointed time. So what are we supposed to do while we wait for this? Right, that's kind of what's happening with Habakkuk. Habakkuk is like, fine, uh, nothing is as it should be. I get that. Um, but I'm going to wait for things to change. When is that going to be? And so verse 4 is the key to Habakkuk. It says, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The just The righteous shall live by faith. The Apostle Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, when he extends it to the Christian life. And he says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul uh, uses the, the passage from Habakkuk. And this is exactly why this particular passage is part of the Revised Common Lectionary right? Because Paul used it as a reference. In the Jewish tradition, however, this little verse in Habakkuk packs a huge punch. The Talmud, um, which are the teachings that accompany uh, the Torah uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, all the Jewish teachings, the Talmud reveals that in this verse, all of the 613 commandments that are found in Leviticus, they're wrapped up in one sentence, The righteous shall live by faith. So what does it mean? So first, we need to understand the word righteousness, right? What does it mean to be righteous? Lots of people think this has to do with leading a holy and upright life. Well, that's not necessarily the case. A person who keeps the rules, right? That's part of it. Um, But, you know, just being holy, living a holy life, I mean, that's, that's a thing unto itself. Um, and that it's also subjective as well. I mean, there are certain things that, you know, you might attribute to holiness that might be universal, but there's, there's a lot of subjectivity when it comes to what it means to be holy. So I have, you know, Baptist friends who believe that in order to be holy, especially since I'm a pastor, um, that I should refrain from any kind of drinking of, of any kind of alcohol and definitely not uh, smoke cigars. Although I find this kind of interesting because a lot of the, a lot of more conservative evangelical uh, Christians and pastors and so forth, they love, they love Charles Spurgeon, who was like a 19th century megachurch pastor from England uh, and, uh, you know, preaching in the 1800s, like packed the place out, was just like well known, you know, he's, a, he's like the guy, right? Um, you know, talking about holiness and righteousness. I mean, that guy was all about it. And so a lot of the more conservative evangelicals love Charles Spurgeon. I have a T-shirt that says on it, tonight I am going to smoke a cigar to the glory of God. And it's a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. So, uh, you know, there's lots of lots of <laughs> gray areas in there. But I would say that, that that's something that comes across uh, from some Christian Uh, camps is that holiness involves those kinds of things. Whereas I would say that that's not part of what it means to be holy. Um, I would say that it means that holiness, uh, you know, I would argue perhaps it has to do with some other things, right? 
of being more inclusive, of welcoming people from all walks of life and all backgrounds and all, uh, you know, um, uh, races and genders and gender fluidity and all the rest of it, right? That we welcome everyone uh, no matter who they are and we love God and we love everybody. And so I think there's some Christians don't believe that that's part of being a holy life. They would think that that actually compromises what it means to be holy. So holiness is subjective, but righteousness within the context of the scriptures is not subjective. Um, I mean, there's a part of it that has to do with being holy on the things that we would understand um, that all of us would have some some sort of agreement on uh, what it means to be holy because it's part of of what we see in the lives of the saints and the lives of the people that uh, that we read about in scripture. Um, but to make that the sum total, the whole behavioral thing uh, as far as holiness doesn't do justice to the, the idea of righteousness. So here's what it means. In this context, righteous means that you are ready to fulfill the demands of a relationship with God through faithfulness. Okay? And what does faithfulness mean? Well, faithfulness means placing your whole life in God's hands, despite all of the fear, the guilt, the shame, circumstances, trials, or anything that's surrounding you. Just being able to surrender, to let go, and to surrender all of your outcomes to God, to let go of all other attachments and just let God do what God's going to do. So it means, and here's, here's where we connect the dots, it means making a choice. When the wind of redemption blows, when that moment arrives and you see it, then you can choose it. Because you've been paying attention, you've been focused, you've been waiting, you've been ready, you've been, you've been surrendering, you've been letting go of the attachments to this world, uh, to the things that you think are going to give you identity and the things that you think are going to give you fulfillment and all the rest of it. You see, I believe that God takes human activity and human decisions very seriously. And we need to understand that God's ultimate plan for redemption of all of creation and us is going to happen. And we're moving forward towards it. Um, our decisions or our lack thereof, they're not going to thwart God's direction. They're not going to thwart the arc of this universe that bends towards justice, to use the words of Martin Luther King Jr. once again. So so there's nothing that we're going to do that's going to that's going to delay it, so to speak, that's going to thwart it, so to speak. Um, but I do believe that God takes very seriously human activity and human decisions because um, of my understanding of what it means for us to have human freedom, the freedom that we have uh, in Christ um, to be able to make decisions and and the freedom that we have as human human beings because love can't be coerced and God does not coerce love and because of that I believe that there are a lot of things that uh, that God um, uh, you know because of that the essence of God um, that things just happen you know God is in the midst of of all of things but God doesn't cause all things there are things that happen in nature there are things that happen because of other people and the decisions that other people make uh, the freedom that other uh, groups of people might have in this particular context we see the freedom that the Babylonians had to go and to do the things that they were doing although there's a consequence uh, to that there's a consequence for the fact that they decided to make themselves their own God um, and so there's all of these things that are part of that, right? And so God takes it very seriously, I believe, uh, the human activity, human decisions. 
And so we have an opportunity, I think, then to be a part of the coming kingdom of God. We have a part to hasten it, so to speak, or or not maybe to hasten it, to like move the timeline along because, you know, like I said, there's an appointed time, there's a Kairos time that God has God's time and it's in God's time and not us. But I do think that we can give people glimpses of what it's going to be like. And then what happens is that it gives people an opportunity to begin to embrace it more fully when the wind blows, when the message comes, when all of these things happen, right? So then we're able to choose wisely when we're focused, uh, when we actually are paying attention, when we let go of these attachments. The kairos then becomes visible. The kingdom of God comes Uh, a little more into focus. But the other side of it is true too. We can miss out on what's going on if we're not paying attention um, or if we refuse to embrace it. You know, if we decide that we want to be our own God, right? For example, like the Babylonians do in this particular passage, um, we get the chance to decide if we're going to live under blessings or cursings, to choose life or to choose death. I mean, it's the, the ancient choice that human beings have that goes all the way back to the Genesis poem uh, from Genesis chapter one and the way that the, the, those ancient peoples, you know, began to understand God and and to realize that there's something that happens all of the time. Uh, The story in Genesis is not something that happened, uh, you know, centuries and centuries and millennia ago. No, it's something that continues to happen each and every day. We are given a choice of whether we want to embrace life or to embrace what isn't life. Um, and when I say embrace life, I mean like the fullness of life, you know, to, to the things that matter the most, the things that are eternal. We can embrace those things or we can choose not to embrace them and embrace something else. So this is where we find ourselves right now, right? We find ourselves in the midst of a choice uh, in this particular context within which we are living in, in, in this challenging moment that we find ourselves in history. Um, there's, there's going to come a turning point that, that, that God's going to do some amazing stuff. And I think God is already doing amazing stuff within the midst of all this. Um, there, you know, there's moments of where the kingdom of God is breaking through, uh, where people are uh, embracing the new thing that God is doing. They're embracing uh, the the redemption that's happening. And then you can see it. I mean, you know, you can hear the stories of people um, who have transcended um, all of this stuff and are making beautiful things and are doing beautiful work. Um, I just feel like that this is a time for us to, to be ready. Um, and, and I, and I want to, encourage you know you if you're listening to this to be ready you know be ready when things change be ready when the redemption comes be ready when the vision of a new world is now become a reality i mean you can sit and you can wait and you can long for it i mean that's what we're all doing we are waiting we're waiting in anticipation for things to change for the world to be better for everything to be made right and it's going to happen and it will happen in unexpected ways. God's going to do amazing things. And I know this, I feel this, I sense it, that there's, there's going to be something different on the other side of all of this chaos. There's going to be something uh, beautiful on the other side of all of these things that have been, that have just fallen apart. Uh, and so we need to be ready and, and willing and able to make that choice to be focused and aware 
um, but to realize that God's plan for redemption, this vision for the future, it involves a choice on our part. So will you make the right one when the Kairos moment comes, when the redemption wind blows through your life? Are you going to be ready? Because the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The spirit is going to move and and you need to be ready to move with the spirit. Well, grace and peace. Uh, once again, I hope you uh, have been enjoying these as much as I have been enjoying doing this. Uh, it's not the same as doing a class, which is uh, which is fantastic and being able to have some interaction uh, but I do hope that uh, that you'll take the time to to get through these and to think about them, to read through the book of Habakkuk. If you have any questions, you have any comments, you have anything that you want to add, uh, please uh, don't hesitate to message me. You can do so uh, by uh, emailing me at leon, L-E-O-N, at shpc.org. Um, I also uh, do... Uh, a daily right now I'm doing it daily. I'm not sure if I'm going to continue it when, uh, when things get different, (laughs) we'll see. Uh, but I'm doing a daily Facebook live thing where I do a uh, daily devotion. Um, and you can find that on my Facebook page. It's just Leon Bloder, L E O N B L O D E R on at Facebook. When you go on Facebook, you can find me that way. Friend request me, uh, if you're not a friend of mine uh, yet on Facebook, friend request me, and that way you'll receive all of the notifications every time that I go live. Uh, but I'm going live every day at 9 a.m. I'm also uh, emailing out all the daily devotions. Those go out via email, and if you want to subscribe to those, you can go to the website of my church. It's shpc.org, and on one of the drop-down menus, it'll say uh, subscribe to email, and you'll see that there. There's a particular choice that you can make where it says uh, to the prayer and devotion series. And so you just choose that and you'll get subscribed to it. Um, Yeah. And you can subscribe to these. If you're listening to it and you're not actually subscribed to it, you should be able to do that. And then you can receive them automatically. Well, it's great to talk to you guys uh, virtually. And uh, I hope that you enjoy uh, these and we'll continue them. We've got a couple of more in this series, and then we'll start something new. So I'll talk to you soon.